All right. Well, welcome everybody. As Tyler, there it is. We were in Michigan too long. I uh, forgot about that. All right. So, as Tyler said, my name's Christian. We're the new young adult pastors. Me and my wife, Allison. And we've got a photo up here showing our family. So, um, that's my wife, Allison, on the right, in case you were wondering. Um, so we have been married coming up on four years. It's kind of an ongoing conversation in our house. I always overguesstimate. I'm like, as soon as we're three plus, we've been married for four years. So technically, three years, ten months. That's where we're at. And then that's little Judah Henry Roos right there in the middle. Um, he's in the kids this morning. He's not able to join us. But I did bring a video so that you could get a little insight of what it is like to be in the Roos household day to day. So here we go. There you go. So hopefully that gives you a little, a little taste. I know we want more. Um, turns out he thinks farting noises are funny. Just like the rest of us. So, all right, well, this morning we are going to talk more about the church. We're part of an eight week series right now, like Tyler shared. But before I get into that, I just wanted to give a little bit more background about us and about me. Um, some of you guys know us really well, some of you have never seen us before. So, we just want to give y'all a little bit more insight of who we are, where we're coming from as a family, and being a part of this church. So, Alice and I started going to Texas A&M in 2012, whoop, and pretty soon after that got plugged into Antioch, and my first experience at Antioch on a Sunday morning was pretty, um, pretty surprising, as it may have been for some of you. So I grew up in a pretty conservative um, Baptist church, and it was great, but it was different. It was different than when I walked in here. So I walked in the doors, and People were worshiping, people were raising their hands, praying for each other, and it was a little startling at first, but after a few minutes, what resonated the most with me was just this authenticity that I witnessed from people all around me. I couldn't explain it exactly logically, but it just made sense that these people were for real. It, it connected with me, and I saw something in them and through them that was genuine. So the next night, I was still kind of a skeptic at heart. So the next day, I was like, okay, I got to check out this life group. They keep talking about life groups, so I'm going to check that out. So I went to that the following evening and experienced the same thing again. People were praising God unhindered. They were worshiping. They were praying. They were in each other's lives. And at the end, we did this small group where they split up, and I was in a group of like three other guys and all of a sudden, they started opening up about their lives and sharing their hearts and saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, and this is what I need prayer for. And it just, like, shook me. I was like, why are you telling me this? Like, we do not know each other. You should not be sharing this information with me. But they were real. They were like, we're in this. If we say that, that Jesus is worth following and he's worth giving our whole lives for, then we need to be authentic. Like, we need to be genuine with the way we're living our lives. And so it just really impacted me. So we got connected in 
the college ministry, did that for four years, led life group and section led, and then graduated in 2016, a whoop, and uh, did the discipleship school right after that. Alice and I started dating um, in that time frame, and it was an amazing year. We, we got to date, so that was a positive. Um, and we got to just experience in the discipleship school together what it meant to live a life devoted to Jesus, not just this college thing, not just a four-year deal, but a life committed to Christ. So after that, or I guess in that time period, in that year that we were doing the school, we got invited to take a visit up to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and see what life was like up there, and specifically to lead the college ministry at Antioch, Ann Arbor. So we took a trip in March. There was snow on the ground. It was nice and icy. So we got the full, the full picture. It was funny. My dad actually prayed that it would be snowing while we were there, just so we could get the full picture. Not like as a hindrance, he says, but he was like, I want them to know what this is going to be like. So sure enough, the Lord answers those prayers too. Um, anyway, so we went up there, and we just felt like the biggest question that we could ask God in this decision-making process was, God, where is the biggest need, and where can we fit the biggest need that, that you have? I mean, you're going to do what you're going to do, but ultimately, we want to live our lives in such a way that we're willing to go, we're willing to say yes to opportunities that other people either can't or won't say yes to. That's, that's who we are. So felt like God was saying, yep, that's where, that's where I've called you to be. So we moved up there. And it was awesome. We, we spent two and a half years there just learning, honestly, more about ourselves probably than anything else. Just that God wants to love us and meet us where we're at and, and cultivate our own needs before even trying to minister to others. And it was amazing. So, yeah, like Tyler said, back in June, he gave us a call and said, hey, what if you would consider moving back here um, being the young adult pastors, and yet again, we use that same question, where's the biggest need, and now we're here. So we are pumped to be back here and just seeing what, uh, what God's going to do with this church. So on that note, we're going to get back into the church. So this is an eight-week series that we're on. The first four weeks, if y'all remember, was who the church is, and then the second four weeks are what the church does. So I'm just going to recap real briefly the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, Ashley shared on the church gathers, and this is not just a gathering of people, right? People do that all the time, whether it's the Rotary Club or freshman leadership organization. Like, people gather all the time um, for good causes and different, you know, different things, but this church and the church at large is different because we gather around a person. That person is Jesus. We're not just doing a social club thing here. We are fixed on Jesus. And then last week, uh, Tyler shared on the church gives. So this is, again, not just a financial thing, but we actually get to give our whole lives, our whole selves for the sake of the kingdom of God. And when we do that, um, the kingdom shows up, Jesus shows up, and it's a, it's a different thing than just a once-a-week attendance. This week, we are going to talk about how the church guides. So if there's one point that I want you guys to take away from this morning, it's that we are prone to wander 
without the guidance of the church. I know that's not like a super flowery, you know, ooh, that's exciting, but it's like, it's true. Like the bottom line is we are prone to wander if we don't have guidance and if we don't have guidance towards the truth, ultimately. So in, uh, in John 16, 13, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So that's kind of going to be our heartbeat verse this morning. We'll come back around to that. But ultimately, we need to be guided by the Spirit and by the church. So what does it really mean to guide, and why do we need guidance? So I looked up the definition of guide, and it is to show or indicate the way to someone. So when I heard this definition, I was like, reminded of this story or this movie called Everest. It came out a few years ago. Maybe y'all have seen it, but it captures the story of this tourist group, this hiking group in 1996. Now, before the mid-1990s, if you wanted to do something like hike Everest, you couldn't just like sign up online and be part of a tourist group and just go up the mountain. You actually had to have like an inside man. You had to know what you were doing a little bit. But around the 90s, this changed to where it became more of a touristy thing, like a bucket list thing that people wanted to do. So this 96 excursion followed these two hiking groups led by Rob Hall and Scott Fisher, who were these experienced hikers that had um, had, you know, summited this peak many times before. And as they're going up, this intense storm blows in. And the interesting part of this tour group is that it wasn't just all experienced climbers. You had everyone from like a mailman to this Japanese hiker who was on her seventh of seven summits, what they call them, so the top seven peaks or the top in each continent. So we had everybody across the board. And the reason I share this story is twofold. First off, it shows that we all need guidance. So just like I said, this group had every array of person. It even had um, a guy who was like a pathologist played by Josh Brolin before he became Thanos. Uh, so Thanos could probably just like hop on up there, but this was, you know, a pathologist. So a different sort of deal. And, um, and it was this kind of ramshackle group that all wanted to scale this mountain together, but they had the same vision, which is the second thing. When we are on a journey, whether it's Everest or this thing called life, we need to be surrounded by people who share the same vision as us. Now, what this doesn't mean is that we you know, cloister ourselves and keep away from anybody who doesn't look like us, sound like us. Like We actually need to interact with people of all shapes and sizes. But unless we have a core group around us that is fixed on the same target, then we are going to lose our way, right? So um, it's just important to have that guidance. It's important to have that group. But in this day and age, there's a million different ways that we can find that guidance, right? So I wanted to look at a few different categories of places that we as humans look for guidance that aren't ultimately the truth. So the first area that we look to is like science and provable knowledge. So I'm not dogging on science. One of my, uh, one of my best friends that actually took me to church 
that first, uh, that first Sunday is getting his PhD in, what is it, microbiology? What is it, Matt? Some Biochemistry, there you go. So I love science. I'm not dogging on science. It's great. But I think we'd all agree that in our culture, we hate this concept of not knowing something, right? So it just like hurts a little bit to, to say the words, I don't know, you know? And um, even in that, I said, I don't know, you know? You know, like we want to know. So in our culture, we want to see it to believe it. And 2 Corinthians 4.18 actually speaks directly into this and says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So a lot of what we can see and study and prove is actually designed by God, and he wants us to understand it. But we have to understand that there are limits to eternal truths in what we can prove. And so even if we are fascinated by science and want to study it, that's all good. But if we put that at the center of what we can see and what we can prove, then it's going to fall short. So that's the first area that we look to. The second area is towards other people. So celebrities, influencers, experts, things of that nature. So raise your hand in here if you have heard the name Dr. Fauci. Okay, so quite a few people. Now keep your hand raised if you heard the name Dr. Fauci before two years ago. Okay, like two people, great. So regardless of what your politics are, this proves that our culture is intent on elevating the, the knowledge of experts or the opinions of experts, right? We, we're keen to look towards what people who seem like they know what they're talking about are saying. Um, so this is also true of actors. So when I was growing up, I watched this movie called Julie and Julia. Uh, if there's some cooks in the room, you might uh, be familiar with this. So this, this follows the life of Julia Child, and she's a famous chef on TV, and she's played by Meryl Streep in the movie. And for a while there, I was convinced that like Meryl Streep was an incredible cook, like an incredible <laughs> chef, because she played this incredible chef in this movie. And we do that often, you know? But the reality is, is Mrs. Streep probably is not that much better at <laughs> cooking than I am. But it's like, she seemed like she really had it together. She knew what she was doing. So we're quick to like latch on to things like that and, and want to find expertise in different places and different people like that. And this is true of social media too. So sometimes we're a lot quicker to go to Instagram than we are to the Word of God, right? Because we've, ooh, that one landed a little bit. And the, and the millennial generation, you're like, um, but it, it's true. Like, we'll wake up and it's just easy to scroll. We've got the people that we follow. I don't have an Instagram, but I'm told that you like have all of these accounts, right? That are people that you already kind of agree with and just kind of bolster what you already think. So it's just easy to go to that and be like, this is true. I knew this was true already. And now this person told me again, it's true. So we're, we're just so quick to do that. So we look, to, um, we look to knowledge, we look to other people, and then lastly, we look to ourselves, right? So in Genesis 3, 1 through 6, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say 
you must not eat from the tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So this idea of looking to ourselves for truth and for wisdom is not a new idea. This was from the very beginning. Um, but in recent years, the term your truth has gained a lot of popularity. And uh, there's a lot less belief in an objective truth than there is um, subjective truths, which then ultimately get elevated to absolute truth, right? So this is most clearly seen when you have an opinion and your opinion doesn't really match up perfectly with someone else's opinion. And then it's like, well, if this wasn't an opinion and this was truth, then I would win this argument, right? So all of a sudden this term, your truth, starts getting a lot of traction. But the reality is like people's opinion, you know? And we need the true truth. We need the absolute truth, which can be found in the word of God. So how can the church stand apart in its ability to guide us? If we've got all these different sources, all these different things and people that we can look to to get, uh, to get guidance, how is the church going to do it differently? So I think it can be done three different ways. So the first is through the Spirit of God. So I'll take that verse that we talked about at the beginning, John 16, 13. says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So how does the church guide in this context, right? Because it says the Spirit of truth, not the church, guides. But the reality is, is everybody in here who has proclaimed that Jesus is Christ and he is Lord, has the spirit of truth in us. So I don't know about you, but I would love to congregate myself around other people who have the spirit of truth in them so that when I'm not seeing absolutely clearly or I'm missing something, I can, I can look to other people around me who have the spirit of truth in them um, and can get that guidance from them. So an example of this is a few months ago, um, I was watching college football, big college football fan, and if you are, you will know that Texas A&M was like right on the cusp this year of making the playoff, and there were several teams that were in the mix, and one of those teams was Ohio State. There you go. So Ohio State had a bunch of like COVID-related issues. They had some players testing positive, others that were exposed. So there was a controversy, controversy stirring about are they going to actually make the playoff? Are they going to be able to field a team? And during this time, I was like, man, as much as I want A&M to make that fourth spot, what I don't want to happen is them, like Ohio State, to just get disqualified. And it's like teams one, two, three, and five. And then that's all the talk of like, oh, y'all shouldn't have been in anyway. And I was telling this to Allison. I was like, man, I just want us to to be good enough to make it the fourth spot without any other circumstances. And she's like, yeah, another thing you could consider is that there's a whole lot of Ohio State players with COVID right now. 
And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's another way to look at it. So the Spirit of God living in Allison was able to highlight to me this area of lack of compassion and lack, <laughs> lack of understanding that I, uh, that I missed. So that's kind of a silly example, but biblically we have examples of this too. In Acts 8, the Spirit of God actually came to Philip and told him, hey, you need to go to this place to talk to this person because he's studying scripture right now. He doesn't know what it is and you're going to explain it to him. So the Spirit of God speaks both in like wisdom and guidance in other believers, but also directly to believers to say, hey, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do. So Spirit of God, second, the Word of God. The church guides through the Word of God. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So just like the Spirit of God, the Word of God is more completely understood when we have other believers around us to help study it, to help learn it. We do that in Life Group every week, right? We look at Scripture, we say, what is this saying about God? What's it saying about us as humans? How can we obey this? Because when you have more perspectives who, again, are fixed on the same target, but have you know, different lived experience, different opinions, can more thoroughly understand what the Word of God is saying. And that's historically understood in a church setting. Is like, okay, the guy up on stage, he's given a message, he's sharing truth, and you just need to listen to that. That's like a very, very small piece of the pie. Um, the church at large, the church holistically is intended to have that rubbing of shoulders, to have that sharing of knowledge and understanding the scripture together. So thirdly, we've got the people of God. Um, and this has been most clearly manifested in my life through discipleship. So in Proverbs eleven fourteen, it says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. So we even have that word guidance again. Um, so again, this doesn't just come from on stage. It comes from the whole church. An example of this is my sophomore year, the start of my sophomore year of college. I was coming back. I had been a camp counselor that whole summer. And if you've ever been a camp counselor, you'll know this term CC or camp crush. So I had, uh, had a little camp crush going into my sophomore year, and she was going to be a freshman at A&M. So I was like, I, I devised this whole plan. I'm like, okay, I'm going to invite her to life group. She's going to get to meet my friends. It'll be this very strategic thing, which if you think that way, just stop thinking that way. That's not, that's not strategic. That's foolish. Um, but anyway, so I was like, okay, had this whole plan, and I, I took it to this guy called Larry Jones, if you've heard of him. Uh, he was my life group leader at the time and someone I really trusted. I was like, here, Larry, basically, I just need you to put, like, your stamp of approval because... It's already fleshed out. The plan's good. You just need to give it the green light. And we started talking about it. And he was like, yeah, I think that's a bad idea. I don't, I don't think that you should probably date a freshman. Now, if you're a freshman in the room and you're in a dating relationship, God bless you. That's fine. If you want my reasons for why I didn't date a freshman, then come up to me afterwards. But there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Um, but the point is that I had a person that was part of the church that had the Spirit of God in them, and they were able to give me a different perspective, give me some guidance, had a little bit more wisdom than I had, 
and I was able to move forward more intellectually and more full of wisdom and more full of the spirit right. than I would have otherwise been able to. Right. And luckily I did because now I have a beautiful wife and a son who giggles at fart sounds. So um, would have missed out on all of that. Um, as we're talking about the people of God, one thing I want to mention is that people are not perfect. We say this a lot, but sometimes in the moment, in the heat of the moment, when we're having you know, trouble with somebody or there's conflict, we're like surprised all of a sudden that people aren't perfect. You know? So if you have had an experience with the church where you're like, hey, the guidance I got was just flat wrong, or it's bad, or I got a bad taste in my mouth, don't let that sour the whole experience because you're not gonna get perfect advice from other people. You're not gonna get 100% clarity on everything, but as a whole, we are fixing our eyes on Jesus. We're trying to look to him. Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. So I might mess up, I might miss it a little bit, but ultimately where we're going is worth it. So just something to remember. So going back to this, uh, this Everest analogy, spoiler alert, if you are a person who wants to go back and watch this movie, you can plug your ears, but this, uh, this story gets pretty bleak, right? So they get up halfway, actually they get close to the top of the mountain and this storm blows in and they actually get separated and they get ice-elated. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, that's not my joke, uh, but it is a, it is a decent one. Um, so they get isolated, and they ultimately want one person in this whole like, group of 20, 30 people survives. And it's clear that that separation and the fact that they got cut off in ones and twos and they weren't on the path together anymore, they weren't sharing the same vision anymore, um, ultimately caused destruction and, and caused them to lose their lives. And there's lots of analogies that mimic this. Um, another one would just be in soccer, you have to have a team in order to play. I mean, these generational stars like Messi and Ronaldo, they would just be really talented individuals if they didn't have teams to play on. So it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're super gifted or whether you're just kind of a role player or you feel like you're just a role player. Here in the church, there's a team that is fixed on Jesus. So I think there's probably two camps of people in here this morning. One would be the camp that says, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I've said yes to him. He is worth serving. He is worth giving my life to. But sometimes, like I said, along the way, you might have had some interactions with different people that rubbed you the wrong way or something about the church just didn't quite connect with you. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm committed. So I would just say, are you, are you committed to the guidance of the church, right? We, we want to be a people who are committed to the body of Christ. If we're serious about committed, being committed to the person of Christ, he's actually part of the body. He's the head. So are you committed to the guidance of the church? And then the second group of people would be those that haven't said yes to Christ, those who maybe don't even think that Jesus was a real person or think that the church is anything worth spending 
time you know, at or with. And to those people, I would say, where are you looking for your guidance? You know, And is it working? Is it working for you? Are you finding life in what you're pursuing? Because ultimately, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you are maybe a, a common attender, maybe church for you is a social club and you enjoy the relationships, you enjoy the friends, but ultimately Jesus isn't who you have your eyes fixed on, then there's going to be a divergence. Because if you're headed to that peak and we're headed to that peak, you might start the journey together, but eventually there's going to be a separation that's going to have to happen. And so why, why would you? Why would you fix your eyes on Jesus? Well, in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, Jesus said that death is worth it to me. That torture and pain and suffering for the sake of dying for my children, dying for my, my brothers and sisters is worth it. And he didn't have to. He actually could have let that assignment pass on. He could have said, no, it's going to be too hard. I'm going to die for all these people, and so many of them are going to spit in my face and say, I, I don't know you. You're not my king. You're not, you haven't died for me. You maybe weren't even real. You weren't even a real person. And he thought about that, and he said, it's worth it. It's worth dying so that they can have life, so that they can have eternal life. So if you have a different target than that and a different destination, um, like I said, we'll have to part ways at some point. You, you're welcome here. We love to be in the same room with you guys, and we love um, anybody and everyone that wants to be here. But ultimately, I would just challenge you, where, where are you finding your guidance? And is it eternal? Is it eternal? So let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll worship together. So Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are our ultimate guide. You are our ultimate summit. You are where our eyes are fixed. And God, I just pray that for everyone in here listening, that we would be truthful to ourselves and we would be truthful to you and say, are we, are we committed to the church? Are we committed to seeing the church guide us to you? We're not perfect. We don't have it all figured out. But ultimately, we need guidance in order to follow you wholeheartedly for a life. So I just pray right now that anything that I've shared up here this morning that is not, um, is not of you, is not from you, that that would be quickly forgotten. But anything that was shared this morning that is, um, that is on your heart and what you communicate, want to communicate to your people this morning, that it would be remembered, that it would be taken seriously, and it would ultimately change our lives for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.